You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 17. We are journeying through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, and we come to an interesting section this morning. Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at strongholds. Title of the message is Conquering Strongholds. If you need a Bible, the ushers will be happy to give you one. Just please raise your hand. And uh, Conquering Strongholds. How many of you know what a stronghold is? Uh, about 20% of you. Uh, a stronghold is the place where an enemy has set up camp and he has an advantage. He has a foothold. He has a fortress that is very difficult to permeate. And uh, today we're going to see some of that in our text. And the title of the message is Overcoming Strongholds. Uh, you have any strongholds in your life? Oh, we all do. And uh, it seems like there's just evil running rampant, and sometimes it can get a foothold into our life. I think of the beaches of Normandy, uh, those great brave men who charged that shore against those strongholds that were there. And the thousands of lives that were lost on the shore as they were trying to conquer those strongholds in order to uh, bring liberation and, and to uh, defeat the enemy. And, and uh, a stronghold is uh, oftentimes has a major hold in our life and it can wreak uh, all kinds of havoc for us. And we're going to see that in the story today. Uh, speaking of strongholds, we had the church was broken into last night at about midnight. Uh, my phone lights up and the sensors are going off and, and, uh, uh, Sure enough, someone broke through the window over here on the building and came in and started rifling through my office and then through the thing here. And uh, Pastor JC lives closer than I do. He got down here right away and the police were here. And to the praise and glory of God, no other damage and nothing more than a broken window. Um, They didn't didn't take anything. Uh, But how interesting... uh, you know, strongholds that we're dealing with in life, right? There's opposition to us, in other words. We, as God's people, God has a plan and a future and a hope and a path that we would walk in. And I want you to think that, think about that. That is more than just nice words, right? That is more than just poetic thoughts. No, God actually has a plan for you. A path that he wants us to walk in. A journey that he has established for us. The scripture says that he lays out good works. He has preordained them that we should walk in them. And yet this path, this plan, it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen robotically. It doesn't just happen automatically. No, 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 no. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to be in, uh, looking for his will. We have to be led by his spirit. It only comes to pass by staying in a relationship with Jesus. And all through the Old Testament and all through the Bible, we see that as God is leading his people to the promised land, whatever that might be for them, there are enemies along the way that would like to hinder and prevent that progress from happening. And therefore, we have to learn how to deal with these strongholds, how to overcome these strongholds. Because uh, that is the, the path that God has for us, that no weapon that is fashioned against us would prosper, but that we would be victorious through Jesus Christ to walk in the fullness of all that he has for us. 
So with that, let's jump in to Matthew chapter 17. And what did we cover last week? What had just happened to Jesus? What did, what did the disciples experience? Peter, James, and John, what was it? The transfiguration. The transfiguration of Jesus. If you weren't with us, oh, Jesus, the mortal man, God in the flesh, a regular human body, was transformed to reveal all of his glory, the Shekinah glory of God, the fullness of the glory of God. And there he is on the mountaintop with Moses and Elijah, radiating bright light just coming out of him, the real Jesus there on the mountain. And we talked about the amazing part was not the transfiguration. The amazing part was that Jesus was veiled in humanity for 33 years, right? That's the more amazing part. And they got to see him as he really is. And so now they're coming down from the mountain. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 14, Matthew 17, 14. If you're there, give me a big amen. Follow along with me as I read. And when they had come, uh, that's down from the mountain, and that they is the Jesus, it's Peter, it's James, it's John. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, those three, up to the mountain, where uh, they, they, the Mount of Transfiguration, and now they're coming back down the mountain. And here's what it says. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, that's came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. The word epileptic there, you may have a footnote. It may say moonstruck by there. Uh, uh, it means he's insane. Uh, moonstruck was a word that was used uh, to describe insan insanity. Uh, we use the word lunatic, right? And lunatic comes from the same root word, uh, luna, lunar, which is moon. And it, it was in those days that they thought somehow uh, the moon was, you know, affected with... Uh, um, Insanity or, or possession, demon possession and those kind of things. And so he's not an epileptic, uh, although uh, he's having seizures and everything else, but the, the source is not medical, the source is spiritual, he's demon possessed. And look what it says, he often falls into the fire and into the water. And Luke's gospel tells us that it was this man's only child, his only son, his only child. And look what he says, verse 16. So, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Why Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, this man came looking for Jesus, coming to Jesus for help for his son. And yet, uh, uh, Jesus being away, the disciples uh, come and they pray for him, everything else, but they can't help him. Verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Here we see the supremacy of Jesus. He has authority over everything. Even the demons obey him. The, the, the seas obey him. He can say, a storm, be stopped. And the storm stops. He has authority over everything. And uh, the child was cured from that very, very moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. And they said to him, why could we not cast the, cast the demon out? 
Jesus had sent out the disciples before. They had cast out demons before. Uh, and now here they were not able. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard, mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Think about the picture of what Jesus is telling them. It's because of your unbelief. For if you have faith as the mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move, and it will be moved. Is Jesus talking about literal mountains, physical mountains? What's he talking about? What kind of mountains is he talking about? Let me hear from you. Trials. What else did I hear? Giant obstacles in your life. Troubled relationships. Problems that you see no way out. Huge issues that are just really big. Strongholds in your life. He says, if you have faith, even as a grain, uh, excuse me, even as a mustard seed, uh, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will move for you. Uh, but then he brings some additional instruction. This kind does not go out, come out but by prayer and fasting. Um, to catch the full drama of this story. Uh, I want us to turn to uh, Mark's gospel. Mark is normally a brief writer, only giving just the major points. But here on this story, he really captures uh, what this father is going through. Flip over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And we'll read the same story in the parallel passage. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When you get there, give me a big amen. All right, sounds like most of you are there. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he, that's Jesus, came to the disciples, again, coming down from the mountain of transfiguration, uh, same exact time frame as is Matthew's gospel. They come down from the mountain, and when he came to the disciples, that's the other nine disciples uh, that he's rejoining with, he saw a great multitude around them. And the scribes disputing, disputing with, uh, with them. Uh, the, the scribes, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, come and start arguing with the other nine disciples why Jesus is away. And uh, they, we, we see this repeatedly in Scripture where they come and they argue. And they usually argue very foolish points, just things about dogma, just things about religious traditions. Uh, why doesn't your master wash hands before he eats? Uh, you know, why does your master heal on the Sabbath? I mean, just, I wish they were profound questions, but they're just re foolish religious arguments, right? And they're disputing with them. Verse 15. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him. That's running to Jesus and greeting him. Jesus' fame was renowned. And when the people see Jesus coming down from the mountain, oh, they drop the nine disciples and this uh, political talk that's going on. They drop it like a hot rock and they run towards Jesus, right? And it's Jesus' fame is amazing. Jesus' fame is going out through all the land. Everyone knows of him. Everyone is talking about him. Oh, he heals. Oh, he speaks. Oh, his word. Words are so life-giving. Uh, they're just in awe of Jesus, right? And what's amazing is his fame is renowned, and yet he's so approachable. All of the multitudes here come to him. In verse 16, and he asks the scribes, and he says, what are you discussing with them? What are you discussing with my disciples? And here Jesus is protecting his guys from these religious leaders. Hey, what are, you, what are you doing with them? Then one from the crowd answered and said, Teacher, 
I want you to circle the word teacher. Who's he talking to? Jesus. Teacher, what does that reveal to you? That personal pronoun, teacher. What does that reveal to you? What does it reveal to you about what he knows about Jesus? Well, he knows he's a good speaker. He knows he's a good religious leader. He knows he's a good teacher. But he doesn't really know who he is. Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whatever, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. And he becomes rigid. Here we see the folly of what's happening at this spot right here. The disciples are being harassed by the religious leaders and they're arguing over frivolous things while meanwhile a man, his home is being tormented by evil, by demons. There's a man and a boy who really needs real help and instead of, of, of uh, God's people being there to help, they're sitting there arguing foolish things theological positions and the folly is staggering and this father interrupts him and he says Jesus oh please and he starts to reveal the drama that is happening in this man's life oh my son he's my only son and he's being tormented he has these seizures. He foams at the mouth. He gets rigid. He gnashes his teeth. Oh, Lord, please. I brought him to your disciples that they should cast out the demon, but they could not. Help me, Jesus. Help me. And he, that's Jesus, answered uh, does your Bible say the word? What's your Bible say? Uh, what word is next on verse 19? He answered what? Him. Him is really a bad translation. Uh, in the Greek, the pronoun is in the plural form. There is no way it can be translated him. It's just a mistake. The Greek is in the plural. It means absolutely more than one person. And so it should say them. You might want to scratch that out and write them right there. He answered them. Who's the them? Well, if we go back, I brought him to your disciples and they, that they should cast them out, but they could not. And he answered them. Who did he answer? The disciples. Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Oh, you might want to underline those words. Bring him to me. That is the answer. So they brought him, the, the, the uh, uh, boy with the demon, to him, Jesus. And when he, the boy with the demon, saw him, Jesus, look at this. Immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell to the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. It's very interesting, isn't it? How did this demon know? It says immediately when the boy saw Jesus, the demon really started acting out. How did the demon know who Jesus was? How did the demon know, oh my gosh, this is an issue? How did he know? How did he know who Jesus was? Well, here's how Jesus created that demon. Jesus created that demon as an angel. And that angel was deceived by Satan and he fell and he rebelled against God. 
And so, of course, this demon knows what even the Father doesn't know. This man is the creator. And the demon torments this boy. Look at the drama. Falling on the ground, wallowing, foaming at the mouth. So his father, so he, Jesus, asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. The Greek there is from when he was a baby. Isn't that bizarre? Somehow this young child, this young baby, demon-possessed from a very early age. Verse 22, And often he, the demon, has thrown him both into the fire and in the water, look at these words, to destroy him. Jesus would speak of the enemy and he would say, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And here we see this boy being tormented and often even brought into the, to the fire to try to kill him and then into the water to try to drown him, trying to destroy him. Uh, and here's what he says. He says, but if you, Jesus, can do anything... Have compassion on us. What do you see there? Talking to Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, what does that reveal? He has no idea who he's really talking to. Teacher, if you can really do anything, he has no idea who he's talking to. I want you to know when Jesus says faithless and perverse generation, he's not talking to the father who's going through this problem. A lot of times religious leaders will put heavy guilt, guilt trips on people and burdens on them that should never be placed on them when they're in the middle of a, a big severe trial. Jesus wasn't speaking to the dad like that. He was speaking to the religious leaders. And we'll cover that more in just a moment. But to the father, here's what he says. Jesus said to him, verse 23, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus trying to draw out of this man a greater depth of understanding of who Jesus really is. I'm not just a good teacher, Jesus speaking, and I have all power and authority. And if you believe, then all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears... Think of the drama. With tears flowing down his face, crying out, and look at the word he uses now. What word does he use? Lord, not teacher. We see there's a progression of understanding happening even as he's speaking to Jesus. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What's he saying? Jesus, I do believe with all that I understand. After all, I'm coming to you. And this is now the second time I've came to you. I came to you the first time and I couldn't get to you. So I came to your disciples. They weren't able to help and it didn't work. And now I'm coming back to you. I do believe, but help my unbelief. And his faith is progressing. And now he calls Jesus Lord. Oh, we see his faith progressing. And, and look at this. I believe, help my unbelief. And you know what Jesus says? You betcha, I will. I am going to do something that will not only help your unbelief, it will transform your world. You will understand me for who I truly am. And whenever we come to Jesus, I love that. We can come to him uh, not knowing, not understanding, just as we are, but sincerely of a pure heart. This father with tears in his eyes, Lord, I'm doing the best. I'm coming to you. I'm trying to understand. And Jesus said, he says, help my unbelief. And Jesus says, oh, you betcha I will, man. Watch this. Uh, when Jesus saw the people came, saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, 
deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. This is authority in its highest. Jesus commanding the demon as if he was talking to his dog. Put him outside and don't come in anymore. How comforting those words must have been to the father. And enter him no more. Because the father had seen this demon leave and come back in and just continue to torment and, and to know that never again. Look at this, verse 26. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he, the boy, became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose, totally whole, totally healed, and completely free. And when he had come into the house, that's one of the disciples' houses, actually. When he had come into the house of one of the disciples, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, this kind can, uh, can, come, this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Powerful story. Flip back over to our passage in Matthew, and let's kind of digest that now. And boy, do you feel the drama of the story? Can you feel what this father was going through, his only son? Demons wrecking havoc on this young boy's life. He's tormented. He has convulsions. He's foaming at the mouth. And here's the first point that I want to bring us to. It's obvious, but it's, it's worth noting. Evil strongholds cause great pain and suffering in our lives. Imagine the toil and the anguish that this boy's father was going through as he watches his only son being tormented. He can never leave his son alone. Think of all the consequences that this evil stronghold is having in his life. The father can never leave his son alone. He's afraid if he does that he's going to wake up one morning and, and find that he's taken his life as he's gone into the fire or gone into the water. And, and he just always has to be there. And his heart must be broken, not being able to have a normal father and son relationship. For those of you who are dads, you know how excited. I was just talking to Cal and Laurel, right, sitting right out here in the overflow room. And they've got little baby crew at church, right? And Cal's wearing his Browns jersey because the, the Browns just won for the first time in 30 years, right? And guess what little crew has on? A little Browns jersey. My son Ryan and Lauren are pregnant right now and, and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, just barely pregnant. And uh, uh, I want to tell you the baby's name, but I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm supposed to. So the little, they're having a little boy. And, uh, and uh, they got a little Padres uniform for the little boy who's not even born yet, right? Yeah, when a dad has a son, you have this hope. Oh, I can't wait to do WrestleMania with him, right? I used to love coming home from from work and walking in the door and the kids before the door even opened, before I was even in, just opening the screen, daddy's home and four kids piling to the door and they grab on my legs and I'm and they're hanging on, falling off behind me like you know and straight to the floor briefcase down on the carpet you know just how and this man can't do any of those things this man has been robbed of all of these things 
He sees other fathers playing with their sons, but he's not able to play with his. And he dreams of being able to play ball or to wrestle or to teach his son how to fish or to talk to him about girls and to give him the facts of life or to disciple him and teach him the Bible and train him and raise him up in the admonition of the Lord so that he has wisdom and discernment and a depth of character to go through life victoriously, receiving all that God has planned for him. This is a father's dream. This is a father's delight. This is a father's portion given to him by God. And all of this has been robbed from this father by an evil stronghold. And oh, how this father's heart must be broken. And instead of enjoying that kind of relationship with his son, his relationship is painful and exhausting. He's been robbed of all the real father-son relationship and it just seems so far away. And having a relationship with this boy is nothing but a ton of work and hardship. This boy was probably scarred badly from falling into the fire. And it must have only added to the grief as people would see him and find, oh, he's not a cute little boy anymore. He's an ugly little boy. And his behavior and even his appearance, even more off-putting. And the problem is just growing worse and worse. It's interesting how sin can actually make a mark on us. What is happening here? Well, here's what's happening. Satan is demonstratively stealing, ruining this young boy's life that he might kill him. And what is happening here demonstratively is given to us as a picture of what is happening spiritually in the world at large. What God has allowed for us to see physically is only a picture of what is going on on a much bigger scale globally in all kinds of lives. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we see the same thing happening today, even though it's more subtle, it's happening every bit as much as the enemy tries to get our sons and our daughters through drug addiction, through cutting, through depression, through alcohol abuse, through gender confusion, through suicide. And not much has changed. Trying to get our sons, our daughters, and throw them into the fire, into the water. Trying to destroy their lives. We see the enemy driving wedges today between fathers and sons, between fathers and daughters, between mothers and daughters. We see dads that work too much. We see dads that are selfishly consumed with hobbies and golf and surfing and not spending time and not really walking in their role as a father. We see broken relationships and strained marriages and the same story is happening over and over and over. I wonder, don't you, how many times did this father cry at night? of this stronghold that was in his life. How many times did he wonder if he'd wake up to find his boy dead? How many sleepless nights? How many times did he say, God, why? Why? And God, where are you? What are you doing? What's interesting is somewhere along the way, the disciples gave up on healing this family. The disciples had moved on. They weren't praying over this, this boy and this father. They weren't bringing this boy and this father to Jesus. They had just moved on. Why? Why? I don't know for sure why for them, but I do know for sure why for most of us, why we move on when we see have giant problems. It's because sometimes our strongholds 
just seem too big to be fixed. Sometimes our strongholds seem too big to be fixed and we just give up. We just say, man, uh, I, I can't deal with this, man. I'm discouraged by the size. I'm discouraged by the power. I'm discouraged by the complexity of the problem. And somehow the disciples had lost hope and just gave up. They had resigned themselves to believe this kid will always be messed up. He's incurable. And this is just how it's going to be. And they gave up. Maybe you have a stronghold that seems so big you've given up. I want to remind you of something just anew and afresh this morning. Your stronghold is not too big for Jesus. Maybe you have a 10-year stronghold. A stronghold in your marriage. A stronghold in your character. A stronghold with a mother or a father. A stronghold in a relationship that it's just, it's too big, it's too much, you've given up. I want to remind you again this morning, your problem, your stronghold is not too big for Jesus. He can heal it if we will bring it to him. The disciples, to them, the problem seemed too big. They didn't believe that the father could ever have the healthy bond that God intended a father and son to have. And Jesus admonishes the disciples. I want you to notice this. Super important. Jesus admonishes the disciples. He says, you faithless and perverse generation. Why does he admonish them? He does not admonish them because they couldn't cast out the demon. He admonishes them for giving up. For being faithless. Jesus admonishes the disciples for not bringing the child to him, for giving up, for not persevering in faith, for resigning, for, for not endeavoring to bring this boy to Jesus. Many of us, like the disciples, have an evil stronghold, but we've just given up. Maybe it's a, way, a wayward child. Maybe it's a prodigal. Maybe it's a dysfunctional marriage. Maybe it's a, a, an angry spouse. Maybe it's a loveless marriage. Maybe for you it's an untamable lust that you just can't seem to have victory over. Maybe for you it's a sharp tongue. Maybe for you it's gluttony. Maybe for you it's materialism or undisciplined spending or debt. Maybe for you, it's your ego, it's your pride. Maybe for you, it's laziness. And you've looked at it, and the problem just seems so big, you just said, I, it's just the way it's going to be, man. I can't seem to get a hold of this thing. And now you are just living, you're, you're, you're tolerating something that was never designed to be in your life. Notice the words that Jesus used. You faithless and perverse generation. What does that mean? Two things. Faithless and perverse. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying? Why did he choose those two words? Faithless, what does that mean? Not enough God in your life. Not believing in the power of God to do what you can't do in your life. Faithless, not enough God in your life. Perverse, too much of the world in your life. When we think of perversion, we often think of what? Sexual sin, right? Like sexual perversion. But that's really not the only way the word is used. Perversion simply means to take something that was intended for one thing and to misuse it in an inappropriate way. To take your diamond ring and to use it to scratch a, a break a glass would be a perversion. No, that ring was meant to be jewelry on you. 
to take your tongue that was used to edify and to build up others and to then tear down others, that is a perversion. You are taking what God gave you and misusing it inappropriately for something else. And here's what he says, you faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Bring him to me. We know that this evil stronghold that we're maybe getting too comfortable with is bad. Whether it be a dysfunctional marriage or a sharp tongue or laziness. But we've tried casting it out. We've even prayed over it several times and it did not go away. And over time we just gave up. That's exactly what happened to the disciples in this story. They just moved on. They just pressed forward. And they moved on defeated. And they're no longer attempting to bring this unhealthy, evil, evil stronghold to Jesus or to life. They're no longer trying to remove it. They're no longer trying to pray for it. They're no, trying to bring it, no longer trying to bring it to Jesus. They're just trying to cope with it and endure the pain. And I want you to know it's easy to do. To take what is perverse and just resign to it. To just move on. To just pretend it's not even there. Just to pretend that nobody sees it. Just to pretend that this evil stronghold in our life really isn't that bad. And Jesus gets right to the diagnosis of the problem. He says it's faithless and it's perverse. It's contrary to the design and to the original purpose. And here we see something interesting. The primary problem is faithlessness. And faithlessness always leads to perversion. Interesting. The problem is faithlessness, but faithlessness always leads to perversion. The byproduct of faithfulness is perversion or dysfunction. And Jesus gets to the solution of the problem and he says, bring him to me. Here's the question. Why weren't the disciples endeavoring to bring this child to Jesus? Why? Well, the problem seemed too big. They were faithless. And what happened? Now in their ministry, they're allowing, they're enabling radical dysfunction in a family's life. And that is perversion. Does that make sense? And it's what happens in our life. When we are faithless to believe that monogamy between a husband and a wife is the very best path for us, we then go off into perversion and bring marriage into something that was never intended to be. And on and on we could go, right, uh, on, on illustrating that. They had resigned to this evil stronghold, and that was a perversion. Now, the disciples were not totally faithless, were they? They had salvation by faith. They understood the basics of Christianity by faith. They were even successful in going out and preaching the gospel by faith, in healing the sick by faith. They had even cast out other demons before by faith. Uh, like, many, uh, like many of us, the disciples had some areas where they were strong in faith. They were strong in faith in the things they understood about God. But when the disciples faced trials that they couldn't understand, and when the sea got really stormy, when their lives were in danger, when God didn't move as they thought they should move, they were faithless. And it's so much easier to be strong in faith when we are getting what we want, when we understand. But I want you to know something. Jesus is building us. God's goal for us is to be strong in faith even when we don't understand what's going on. Even when we're facing incredible trial. To be strong in faith even when our flesh doesn't understand 
what, what is happening. And to me, it is simply amazing how quickly the disciples just resigned to let this evil stronghold be a permanent part of this family's life. And I think it reveals something about us. It wasn't they weren't believers, the disciples, obviously they were. But it reveals something about us that we needlessly endure the pain that evil strongholds cause when we're faithless. And it leads to this perversion. Uh, it leads to this, this having a life that just isn't the way God designed life to be. I'm looking at our nation today. And because of faithlessness, you know what's happening? We are becoming a nation that is getting radically what? Perverse. We have moved so far away from what God's standard is. We can't even have a civil discussion with people that have different opinions than us. We have to demonize them and harm them and go out of our way to destroy them. That is what? Perverse. That is perverse. These differences of opinion are good for us. They sharpen us. They make us think. They make us better. And we, I am watching our nation get more and more perverse. Homelessness is perverse. Immorality is perverse. Losing freedom of speech is perverse. The hatred that is going on is perverse. Socialism is perverse. You know what socialism is? Socialism is saying, I don't want to be responsible for my own actions. I want someone else taking care of me. And you know what God says that is? That's perverse. That's not the way I've designed it to be. I want you to be the head and not the tail. I want you to be the giver and not the taker. I want you to be the lender and not the borrower. I want, I want you to be the salt and light of the earth. I want you to be the one uh, leading and blessing and serving others. I don't want you just having a handout. I'm watching now as I'm getting these emails as our country uh, going farther and farther away and more and more faithless and becoming more and more perverse. And now I'm getting these emails, a second round of PPP loans. And people taking hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to the tune of trillions of dollars for the nation and... Hey, there's a time and a place, and if your company really needs it, okay, but how are you seeing it used? Are you seeing it used like I'm seeing it used? I'm seeing it used, people taking it that don't really need it. I'm seeing these unemployment benefits. How are you seeing them be used? And I want you to know, if you're here this morning, do not be faithless. There have always been seasons of plenty and lean seasons. There's always been feast and then there's been famine. That's part of life. And it's wrong to have a handout and expect the government to just take care of all your problems. Do you know whose duty it is to take care of the problems? Whose duty is it? The church's duty. And it's interesting how faithless is bringing perversion into our nation. Again, faithlessness is the problem. Perversion is the byproduct. And the solution is to bring the problem to Jesus and to not stop until you get the problem to the feet of Jesus and to not quit until you get the problem to the feet of Jesus to not stop praying and looking for ways to get the boy to the feet of Jesus that is faithfulness and that is how we're meant to be I want you to know the perversion of marriage is far more than same-sex marriages that's the extreme level of perversion of marriage. But the perversion of marriage is a man abdicating his responsibility to love his wife as Christ loved the church. 
to be the spiritual leader of his home so that he's pouring into his wife and pouring into his family and pouring into his kids. So there's family Bible studies and family devotions and characters being built. And there's arm on arm, father and son, father and daughter walking down the, to the park, doing things together as he's imparting wisdom and discernment and the admonition of God's ways into that life so that child can grow and thrive. And when we leave that, that is a greater perversion of marriage than a homosexual marriage. That's just the blatant folly that happens when we've left the faithfulness long ago. We just really start running amok. Does that make sense? And that is a perversion when a man leaves that role. And for a wife to be critical of her husband and to be nagging him all the time and to never be satisfied, not believing in him and tearing him down, that's a perversion of marriage, right? And, and here we see what happens. Faithlessness leads to perversion and that allows these evil strongholds to remain. Is this making sense? Jesus says, if you have a if you have faith as a mustard seed, how big is a mustard seed? Why do you think Jesus used that analogy? If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be moved and it will be moved. You got an evil stronghold in your life? Jesus says, hey, look, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, doesn't that bug you? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Are you going to hit me in the face with that? Are you kidding me? You're telling me I don't have faith as a mustard seed? Well, where was your effort to bring the boy to me? Where were your prayers about this? Where were you looking for a way to get this child to me? You see, if you would have even tried in the smallest way to bring this to the authority of Jesus Christ, I would have moved the mountain. Mustard seed faith is not small faith, it's persevering faith. A mustard seed gets planted and it's nothing, it's, it's just, it's, it's insignificant. It's not that our faith is so great, but it's that it's persevering. It's just looking for life, it's looking to grow, it wants to do what God created it to do. And our faith is just coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, I need help. Again, Jesus didn't rebuke the disciples because they couldn't cast out the demon. Jesus rebuked the disciples for their faithfulness because they wouldn't press on in faith. Mustard seed faith is not giant faith, it's growing faith. It's persistent faith. It's a faith that does not quit until the problem is at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus gave all kinds of examples of what kind of faith he's looking for. In Luke 18, he talked about the persistent widow. Do you remember the story of the persistent widow? There's a persistent widow who has an adversary after her. She's being treated unfairly. She's being sued wrongfully. She's being taken advantage of. And she goes to the judge and she says, Judge, help me. I've got this guy trying to attack me. I've got this guy trying to ruin me. I've got this tr guy trying to take everything from me. And the judge wouldn't listen to her. And so she continued pestering the judge day and night. And Jesus tells the story. He says, the judge finally said to himself, I'm going to answer this woman, not because I fear God, and not because I even care about this woman, but because she's pestering the snot out of me day and night. And here's Jesus' point in the story. If that evil judge delivered that woman because she was pestering him, how much more a holy and righteous and loving judge will deliver those who call upon him? And Jesus finished the parable with this phrase. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, when Jesus returns... Will he really find that kind of faith on earth? And the question is asked in the negative context, meaning as if that kind of faith is rare. 
persistent faith, mustard seed faith, is not something that you can't do. It's something that all of us can do. It's just continuing to bring it, the problem, to the feet of Jesus until the problem is at the lordship of Jesus. What did Jesus say? How long shall I be with you, you faithless and perverse Pastors, by allowing this kind of dysfunction to go on and not even trying to bring it to me. Bring the boy to me. And what did Jesus want? Jesus wanted the boy, the father, and the demon brought unto the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. And then the stronghold is what? Gone. Gone. How so? By bringing the boy, the father, and the demon, the entire thing, to the authority of Jesus. The scripture says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not fight our battles according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God. To the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Tearing down strongholds. To the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down of arguments. And every vain thing that boasts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing, here's the caveat. Bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Or to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Uh, what does that mean? Faith in Jesus moves mountains. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that we have faith that when we obey Jesus' commandments, when we trust his ways more than our ways, that everything is going to fall into place because he's the Lord over all. And this is God's will for us. Uh, a verse for you on the screen that kind of just shows that so well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. Let me hear you read this. Uh, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The ladies are going to be studying 1 Corinthians on Wednesday. Uh, I meet with a bunch of guys, men's leaders, on, on uh, Wednesday mornings as well. And we covered this verse a few weeks ago. We talked about it. Look at this verse. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means faith in Jesus moves mountains. That's what it means. And you say, how so? Well, here's what it means. Uh, let me just hit the obvious right out of the gate. Is there foolishness in God? No. No. Bring the verse back up, please. There's no foolishness of God. Nor is there any weakness of God. So then what is the verse saying? Here's what the verse is saying. The foolishness of God's ways is stronger and wiser than man's ways. The foolishness of God's ways? Yeah, that even though I got the stronghold in my marriage and I'm not enjoying my wife, I'm going to lay my life down to serve her, to build her, to edify her. That's the foolishness of God's ways compared to the world's ways. The world will say, no, you got to demand your rights. you got to make sure she appreciates you and she does this and don't do any just cut her off just and here's what here's what the bible's saying the foolishness of god's ways is wiser than man's ways and the weakness of god's ways is way stronger than man's ways you decide for yourself which path you're going to go uh, as for me and my house, Joshua would say, I'm going to serve the Lord, right? And that's what, uh, this, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, if you just have faith, it'll move a mountain. If you'll just trust me, if you'll just walk in my ways, it'll, it'll, it'll transform your world. And uh, uh, just so important. Um, we'll wrap up with this. <clears throat> the disciples say, why couldn't we cast the demon out? 
And no doubt they were wondering, you know, Jesus, we've done this before. We've cast out demons before. Uh, why aren't we able to cast it out? And why were you able, Jesus, with the word to do what we couldn't do with tremendous effort? And Jesus says, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And the last point I want to leave you with that is just that simply that. Evil strongholds are not removed except by prayer and fasting. What does that mean? It means that there's certain things in our life that require greater spiritual maturity and greater spiritual wisdom in order to walk in and have victory. When I first got saved, I had all kinds of strongholds in my life. And you know what happened? The Lord delivered me out of all of them rather rapidly. I quit cussing. I quit lying. I don't mean ever, but I mean as a pattern, right? I quit lying. Uh, I quit cheating. I quit swindling. I quit uh, being so materialistic. I, I changed. He took away these strongholds virtually overnight I was delivered but I've noticed there's other areas of my life where I don't experience victory as easily and to gain victory in those areas of my life requires a greater wisdom it requires more humility more patience more selflessness and a better understanding of God's will and prayer and fasting is how we learn to place God's will above our own. And there's certain strongholds that will not come out unless we have a life that is spent praying and fasting. Jesus wasn't saying, uh, oh, there's a demon right there. Okay, now you have to pray and fast. That's the, that's the formula. 27 right, 36 left, 12 right to cast out demons. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there are certain strongholds in your life that will never go away if you don't spend time growing with me by prayer and fasting. Prayer, what is prayer? Prayer is not telling God what you want. What is prayer? Find, yeah, prayer is finding out what God wants in your life. Prayer is not me telling God what I want in my life. Prayer is finding out what God wants in, in, in my life. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, our Father that art in heaven, holy be thy name. What? Your kingdom come, your will be done. In order for me to say, God, your will be done, I have to first say, my will be gone. I want to tell my wife off. You want me to love and build up my wife. Bit of a difference. This kind comes not out, but by prayer and fasting. Fasting, what's the purpose of fasting? Oh, then God knows you're serious. I'm going to fast so God will know I'm serious. And if, when he sees me, you know, struggling so bad, then he'll bless me. No, 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 no. That's pagan theology. They used to cut themselves before their gods to try to earn God's favor. Can I tell you something? You don't ever have to do what? You don't ever have to earn God's favor. You already have it. What then is the purpose of fasting? The purpose of fasting is just learning how to deny my will, deny my flesh. It's learning how to not give in to the desires of my flesh so that I can walk in the power of the Spirit. Fasting is learning how to say no to our fleshly desires so that we might be able to focus and know and obey God's will. And I would encourage you, fast. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up so we can go out and song. Uh, but fast. What can you fast from? You can fast from food. Social media. What else? TV, I heard. A great one. What else? Gossiping. Being a critical spirit. How about you do this? How about instead of fasting from food, you say, I'm going to fast from food in this way. I'm not going to eat until I've spoke edifying words to seven people before every meal. You know what's going to happen? Your life's going to change. Read Isaiah 58 about the kind of fast that pleases God. We have strongholds in our life. And Jesus is saying, hey, pay attention to me, guys. 
You can't just walk through not thinking about it. To have victory over these kind of strongholds, you've got to be in prayer to know my will. And you've got to be able to deny your flesh. Because I want to use your life in powerful ways. And in order for me to use your life, your flesh cannot control you. Shall we stand? morning might be a time to hit the reset button. Maybe you have succumbed to a trial that you have just said, oh, it's normal. I'm just going to live with it. That's perverse. I encourage you, come this morning, bring it to Jesus. Come and pray. And move forward with the life of prayer and fasting that you might walk in the fullness of all that God has for you. How great is our God. How amazing his path for us. May we enjoy the journey as we walk with him in faith. God bless you. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.